Our scripture for today is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 55 in its entirety. I will only read a few verses at this time. Isaiah chapter 55. I'm reading from the King James translation. I'll begin reading with verse 1 and I will read through verse 9. But our text will encompass most of the verses in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that cometh had no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Come, buy, eat wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander of the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee, shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he had glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, said the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Notice what the Lord declares. He says that the heavens are higher than the earth. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. I want to speak to you today from the subject, his ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 through 13. His ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55 is one of the most beautiful, one of the most eloquent, one of the most renowned passages of scripture ever penned. The Lord cries out to Israel to return to him and reminds them that he only, he 
alone. Nobody but him. He's the only one who can supply what we need. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. God is actually indicting his people and saying to them and to us that we are our own worst enemies that we ourselves are the reason for our peril. Our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. I am sure that I'm not the only person that was moved and taken aback by last week's verdict that verdict of not guilty on all counts. While I certainly do not want to be understood as wishing harm to anyone, while I don't want to be understood as wishing that someone's life would end, I find it very troubling. I find it very troubling that a person can cross state lines carrying an assault rifle, go into a situation of which he has no vested interest whatsoever. Carrying an assault rifle, walking through the streets, shooting and killing people as he goes, meeting with police officers, and offered a glass of water, taken to court, and found innocent of all charges. And our nation, a great portion of our nation, including our former president, rejoices and says that this is justice. I tell you the truth, we living in some troublesome times. A loving parent does things for a child that the child doesn't understand. And likewise, the Lord in our text says that he loves us, he guides us, he protects us, and provides for us in ways that we don't understand. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As an infinite being with infinite wisdom, God knows and God understands things that we cannot comprehend. We are only wise when we bow to that knowledge rather than demand that he does things our way. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. In fact, if you really be honest with yourself, and I hope you will, we live in a material world. We live in a materialistic society. Our natural focus is primarily on our physical needs. When our thoughts are centered on mundane matters, we miss what God wants us to know. 
God transcends time and space. His thoughts are always on the big picture. But our thoughts are always on earthly, mundane things. As we study the book of Colossians, Paul says, set your affections on things above and not on things beneath, since we have been risen with Christ. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Last week, we shared a message with you, and we know that all things work together for good. To them who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, God's definition of good and our definition of good are not always the same. The things that we sometimes think are bad, God actually counts them as good. His thoughts and our thoughts don't always line up. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, we have the same thought expounded. God says that I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In other words, God said, I know what I'm doing. I know what I have planned for you. Sometimes when God allows things to happen in our lives, we don't always understand why. We don't see it the way God sees it. But God told us through the book of Jeremiah that he knows what he's doing. He knows the plans that he has for us. He knows where he's going, where he's leading, and where he is directing us. When he allows sorrow and pain to enter into our lives, it's because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He intends to use our difficulties to produce the character of Christ in us. And this is what we learned on last week in our message from Romans 8, 28. Could it be today that you, you who are listening to me and even myself as I'm speaking, could it be that I need to remind myself that God's ways are not my ways, that his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are higher than mine. Let's take a quick look at this 13th, uh, this 55th chapter of Isaiah. There are 13 verses. We won't be able to cover them all, but let's just take a look at some of these verses and see what the Holy Spirit would have us to learn. First of all, in the very first verse, we have what I would like to call a universal invitation. He says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy. Come and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. A universal invitation. The Lord is saying, if you're thirsty, come to the waters. If you're hungry, come to my table. If you're in need of food to satisfy, 
come and let me fill you to the brim. You don't need money. Come. Come. Just come. Deacon Deason, scripture that he read, was also inspired by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 11, 28, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ is extending an invitation to us. We who are weary, we who are burdened, we who are heavy laden. And there's no doubt about it. There are many of us in that camp today. So much has happened over the past year or so that it's almost unfathomable to think about the things that we have seen and heard over these past year or so. It's been awesome. It's been almost unbearable. But the Holy Spirit of God is saying, if you're thirsty, come to the waters. If you're hungry, come and let me feed you. Come unto me. Come and buy wine. Come and buy milk. Milk and wine are symbolic. He's not necessarily talking about milk and wine as products, but he's talking about the spiritual gifts that he freely gives to all who come to him. We can come to him without money, without price. The gifts of God cannot be bought. They cannot be purchased. They are freely offered. Come unto me. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And then in verse 2, God actually, I don't know how I want to phrase this, but he shows the people just how, I'm trying to find a nice word, how idiotic we really are. He says in verse 2, Wherefore you spend money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which satisfied not. Hearken diligently unto me. In other words, he said you spend your money on other things that don't satisfy. You work and labor hoping to find satisfaction and you don't find any. And that's because only Christ can satisfy. He's the only one that can feel the longing of our heart. You spend money, he says in verse 2, for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which satisfied not. Hearken, listen to me, listen diligently, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. He's showing us just how idiotic we really are. Just how deceived we really are. We believe that material things are going to satisfy the longings of our heart. But he says in verse 3, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you 
even the sure mercies of David. Now, this passage, again, is one of those uh, messianic prophecies. He's not talking about David. He's talking about his son, Jesus Christ. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, verse 3, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ hundreds of years before he's even incarnated into the womb of Mary. Thou shalt call a nation, verse four, 5, that thou knowest not, and nations that know not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he had glorified thee. God is speaking here through the prophet Isaiah. He's speaking prophetically. He's saying, I'm going to send one to you who will satisfy you. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 came looking for water. And Jesus said unto her, if you had asked me, I would have given you living water. I would have given you water that you would never need to replenish. Water that would satisfy your very, very quenching and all of your thirst. You see here, I have a bottle of water. I drink it every now and then to satisfy my temporary uh, desire or thirst. But if you notice, no matter how much we drink, it never truly, completely satisfies. There's always a call for more. Jesus says, or God says rather in verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is one of those verses that's kind of bitter and sweet. He didn't say let the uh, godly man return. He said let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous forsake his thoughts. Let the unrighteous, let the wicked, let them return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. We serve a God who will forgive. We serve a God who will pardon. We serve a God who will overlook our wrongs if we turn away from them and come back to him in true repentance. Why would he do that? He says very plainly in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, said the Lord. We're not like God. We're created in his image. We're supposed to be like him. 
We're supposed to emulate and imitate him in all that we do, but our ways are not like him. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. He will forgive those who turn to him in true repentance. For my thoughts, verse 8, are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He says also, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We spend money for that which does not satisfy. We spend silver and gold for things that we hope will bring us satisfaction. And when we look around like Solomon, and look back over our lives and all of the things that we have accumulated, we discover that there's still a void. Come unto me, he says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. His ways are not our ways. How do we take this text and apply it to our lives? Let me give you a few examples. Earthly things do not satisfy. How many of you have had the false belief that if I could just get enough money, that I would be happy? If I could just get another promotion, if I could just get one more step uh, on my salary increase, if I could just get one more one more bonus, then I'd be set. And then we get it. And our help fails. We get that promotion. And our loved ones are taken away from us. We get that promotion. We get that fantastic job that we've strived, that's driven so hard for. And all of a sudden, the company that we're working for goes bankrupt, and there we are, still not satisfied. The song says, like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. But then I heard the voice of the blessed Savior drink from the well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up, Lord. We need the Lord to fill our hearts, and only he can do that. We're not going to find peace and satisfaction on earth because we live in a sin-cursed, sin-tainted world. The only thing that really matters is the word of God. Look at what he says in verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereof I sent it. God says his word 
will never fail. His word will never return to him void. His word in the book of Genesis, God said, let there be, and at once there was. He commanded, and they were created. The Son of God, when he came to earth, he gave life with his word. With his word, he cast out devils. With his word, he healed diseases. With his word, he calmed the tempest. With his word, he called his enemies to fall to the ground. God's word is eternal. And it will not return to him void. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The invitation as given by Isaiah is to come unto him. To come to him because he is a trustworthy, a true and faithful God. He's not like us in that God forgives. You come to man, he may forgive you and he may not. But God is a forgiving God. God restores. God can bless. God looks for nothing in return. If my people who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. As I close, I want to show you a few examples in the scripture that the Lord showed me of how his ways are not our ways. How his thoughts are not our thoughts. And maybe by Examining these scriptures together, this message will be made even clearer to you. I begin by reminding you of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. I'm just giving you now some closing thoughts to de demonstrate how God's ways are not our ways. Most of us remember the story of Abraham, the patriarch. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who was barren. Abraham, who was 75 years old and had no children. Abraham, who received the promise from God that he was going to give him a son through his wife, Sarah. Abraham was 100 years old when God finally granted that promise. Isaac was born. Isaac was Abraham's cherished son. Isaac grew to become a young man. And then we read in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abram. The word tempt is a King James Old English word. It means test. It means tried. God tested Abraham. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, call him by, by his name. And Abraham answered and said, here I am. 
He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and fell his ass. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He carved some wood for the burnt offering. He rose up and he went to the place which the Lord God had told him. God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes God demands extraordinary sacrifices from us. He asks us to do things that we don't always understand. Things that we don't always even agree with. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But in Genesis 22, Abraham did not question God. He was obedient to what God called him to do. He got up early that morning. He and Isaac and his servants and they went to the place where God had told them to go. It was only when Abraham laid his son Isaac on the altar, took the knife, took the fire, and was about to slay him, that God said, Abraham, Abraham, don't do the child any harm. For now I know. Now it wasn't that God didn't know. God tested Abraham because God wanted Abraham to learn how to trust in him. It could be today that you are going through something which may be difficult and unbearable in your way of thinking. It may seem like an extraordinary sacrifice. Could it be that it's God saying to you that my ways are not your ways? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Abraham was obedient to God, and lo and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham offered that ram instead of his son. And he and Isaac came back together. God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes he demonstrates this by leading us through difficult and turbulent passes. Look, if you will, at Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm just giving you some examples here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 2. Here's what the Bible says. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, 
to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. God promised his people Israel that he's going to give them a land that they had never seen before. They called it the promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. God said, I'm going to give it to you. Go and possess it. And they went. And yet for 40 years, they found themselves meeting opposition. For 40 years, they found themselves in the wilderness. They found themselves meeting against Pharaoh and his army. They found opposition everywhere they went. And God said, I want you to remember these things. I want you to remember what you experienced these 40 years, that it might humble you, that it might prove you, that it might help you to know what's in your heart, whether or not you're going to keep my commandments. Sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives that we don't agree with, that we don't understand, that we wish wouldn't happen, but he does it. Because he wants to use those things to help to prove us, to prune us, and to make us more like him. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You know, sometimes God uses our ability to make choices to also help in this area. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 and notice verse 5. 1 Kings chapter 3. Notice if you will verse 5. In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord thy God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I'm but a little child. I know not how to go in or come out. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people, that thou cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this? Thy so great people. I don't know if you understood those verses or not. But God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, 
Tell me what you want me to do for you. You have an open invitation. Name it and claim it. What would you like for me to do? Give me, tell me what you want. And Solomon, and I'm paraphrasing it, said, Lord, you've been good to me. You've been good to my father, David. And you've allowed me to sit on the throne that you promised him. I'm but a child, Lord God. I don't know what I'm doing. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding that I might make the right decision. His ways are not our ways. Sometimes God allows us to come to him and ask for whatever it is that we want. And he'll give it to us. But sometimes the things we ask for aren't necessarily the things that are best for us. But in Solomon's case, he asked for wisdom. And because of that, God blessed him and gave him more than he asked for. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I'll give a few more examples before I close. You remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, where Mary and Martha had a brother whose name was Lazarus. Lazarus became ill. He was a dear friend of Jesus. And the family sent for Jesus and said, Jesus, he whom you love is ill. And the Bible says that Jesus stayed back a few days. And later on, they got word that Lazarus had died. And Jesus still didn't come. In fact, he waited four days till Lazarus was buried. And then he came. And one of the sisters cried out to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you had come, we wouldn't be grieving today. And Jesus looked at her and he said, do you know who I am? Do you believe me? She said, yeah, Lord, I believe in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. In the case of Mary and Martha, the problem was they believed God, but they couldn't appropriate it for the here and now. They could not understand what he was doing. They didn't understand how can you love me and take my brother from me? How can you love me and you will come to me when I call you? How can you love me? My brother is sick and you know where to be found. My brother is dead. He's buried. And now here comes the Lord. He doesn't always come when we think he should. The old folks used to say he may not come when you want him. But he's always on time. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. If you're here today and you're experiencing what you believe to be a tragic scenario, if you're here today and you believe that the things that have happened to you are unwarranted, unmerited, if you believe that what God is doing for you right now is not offering you hope, 
It's not offering you comfort. It's not offering you peace of mind. Remember, his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. This is what Isaiah is teaching us today. That the ways of the Lord are different from ours. But his knowledge, his wisdom is superior to ours. At the heart of this message then, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. To know what God is thinking or to know how God works is impossible for us to understand. We like being in control. We like to know what's going to happen to us before it happens. But we serve a God who is in control of all things. And as we said on last week, we know that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I believe today that there's somebody listening to this message who's discouraged. There's somebody listening to this message right now who's heartbroken, who's sad, who's de depressed, dejected because of the things that you're experiencing in your life right now and you're wondering if God truly loves you. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Take this text to heart today. Remember the words of our Lord in the text today and let them be a source of comfort for you. Go to ask our dear chaplain, Malcolm, if you will, extend an invitation to those who are online today.